you know what love is? Shall I tell you an example of love? Love is when the associate minister gets up in the morning, early on Sunday morning, and his wife's had a cold all weekend, and he doesn't want to wake her, so he decides that he'll get dressed with just the light on the landing in, so that he doesn't wake her, and then gets dressed, comes to church, gives the announcement at the nine o'clock service, comes down, looks down and realizes he's got one trousers from one suit and one jacket from another suit. So that's what love is, but never again. I'm going to have the full lights on when I'm getting dressed early on Sunday morning. So you probably, I don't think anybody noticed. Nobody's, oh, everybody's being very, oh, you, everybody was being very kind. Kept, I'm going around really nervous saying, do you notice anything different about me? No. I've got trousers from one suit, jacket from another suit, because I love my wife. Amen. Thank you. Yes, I receive that. <laughs> It'll never happen again, though. Never happen again. Amen. Great. Well, we have a special today. Well, I hope it's a special. Um, you've already heard we're going into our Christmas program, and uh, we are looking forward to 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, we had a great taste of Teen Challenge at the 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock service. But the 7 o'clock, they are free to flow and minister as they want to, as we, as we can only do at the 7 o'clock. And Jay Fallon, uh, their field director, a great friend of Kensington Temple over the years. So wonderful to have him preach uh, with us. He'll be ministering as the Holy Spirit leads him at the 7 o'clock. So uh, um, if you were here this morning, I'm sure you'll want some more. But if you haven't, if you, haven't, if you didn't experience Teen Challenge, you're going to hear some testimonies. Some of those testimonies are only about 7 or 8 months old of people that were on drugs and down and out in life and were brought to one of the Teen Challenge centers and their lives have been turned right side up from God. It's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful choir too as they sing from their hearts. That's going to be at 7 o'clock. And then next weekend, next Sunday, as you see, you have a choice, 5 o'clock or 7 o'clock uh, concert. Uh, and, we, and you've seen the video of that. And then the following Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas, we have our 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock. Again, you can choose repeat carol service. Not carol by candlelight, but carol by glow stick. Everybody gets a glow stick. And then at the right time, we shake and break, and we light this place up. It's, it's actually my favorite service of the year, uh, uh, Christmas service of the year. And then Christmas Eve, communion with our own senior minister. He's in Brazil at the moment. He'll be back with us next Sunday morning, Colin Dye, uh, Christmas Eve, and then Christmas Day. Jesus' birthday, my birthday too. And um, amen. Not that I'm fishing for any presents. And then on the platform, we get all the kids children to come up with the presents that they got on Christmas Day, and it's just a wonderful 10.30 service, and then back to church the Sunday after. But um, what we're going to look at today is we're going to have a look at the different ways that the Gospels emphasize the story of Christmas. You know, one of the wonderful things about having four Gospels is that it gives us a four-dimensional view of what was going on. Because one of the authors of the, of the Gospels will, will pick up something that they think is significant 
where one of the other authors will pick up something else that they think was significant. This is the beauty about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's great. If God had just given us one, well, that would have been fine. But each of the authors wrote with a a, a different purpose. And because they wrote with a different purpose and wrote to a different audience, it meant that things that happened in the gospel stories, they picked up and emphasized some things where some of the other gospels picked up and emphasized others. Now, when we think about the, um, the... Uh, Christmas story and we hear about the Christmas story, really what we're getting is a sort of mix and match of Matthew and Luke and maybe a little bit of John, but really it's a mix and match. And so often when, if I was to ask you, if you you know anything about the Bible and I was to ask you, tell me the Christmas story, you would be going from Matthew to Luke, or actually be going, sorry, from Luke to Matthew and then back to Luke, and then back to Matthew, and you'd be taking different stories and putting them together. All of the things happened, it's just some of the events that uh, happened during the Christmas story, Matthew reported on, but Luke didn't, and some Luke reported on, and Matthew didn't. So today, I'm just going to spend some time with you highlighting the different emphases of the different Gospels, and showing you why they recorded what they recorded. And that will be very important because that's part of God's will. We study the scriptures in the way that God gave them to us. And so that's, that's what we'll do. Well, I'm going to start with Mark because Mark doesn't have a Christmas story. He's the one gospel that doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus. So I'm going to start with him. Uh, I was thinking that if I was going to do a four-week series on the four Gospels, I was looking forward to doing Matthew on the Christmas story, Luke on the Christmas story, John on the Christmas story, but I couldn't really, I don't know what I'm going to do about Mark, because Mark starts with Jesus basically coming to be baptized by John. Now, some people think that Mark was the first gospel to be written. Most people think that Mark was the first gospel to be written. I'm not so sure about that. It may be true, or it may be that Matthew was the first gospel to be written. If Mark was written after Matthew and Luke, it may be that he felt there was no need to talk about the Christmas story. But if Mark was written before those, the question is, well, then why didn't he give any of the birth narrative? Well, this is important because of Mark's aim. Mark was writing to a certain kind of people. Mark was writing to a Roman audience. That's who he was writing to. You say, how do you know that? Well, we haven't got time to go through it, but if you go through Mark, sometimes Mark will explain Jewish terms and themes. He'll actually give an explanation because he knows that the people that are reading his gospel are not from a Jewish background. They're mainly Romans, perhaps Greeks, but really he's writing to the Romans. And so Mark will explain things. Mark will, will, Mark is, I mean, you preach to different people, don't you? You preach, you think about, who am I preaching to? Am I preaching to Kensington Temple? I'll preach in a certain way. If I was preaching to non-Christians, I would preach in a different way. If I was preaching at a more formal type of uh, uh, traditional church, I would think about my audience and what I was going to emphasize. If I was writing a book, and I just finished my book on Friday on the book of James, so I'm pleased about that, and that will be out hopefully in the springtime. When you write a book, you think, well, who am I writing this book for? Am I writing it for KT? Am I writing it 
for the world? Am I, who am, I, am I writing it for leaders? And depending on who you're writing is depending how you'll pitch it, what you'll include, and what you won't include. If I'm writing a book for new believers, I'm going to put a lot of things in there that I wouldn't put if I was writing for leaders. I would expect them to know the things that a new believer would know. And so it's, it, when we look at Mark, we ask ourselves, well, why didn't he talk about Christ's birth? Well, when you look at the Gospel of Mark and the themes of the Gospel of Mark, and each of the Gospels have themes or emphases right through them, and that's what makes them so uniquely special. They share stories, but they see different things in stories and highlight different emphases in stories. And some include stories that others don't because that's what they want to emphasize. Mark was writing to the Roman world, and some of the themes of Mark that we see is Mark has a very strong theme of servanthood. Servanthood. In, in the book of Mark, or the Gospel of Mark, you see Jesus recorded more than any of the other Gospels referring to himself as the Son of Man. The Son of Man. And that phrase that Jesus used, the Son of Man, it, it was just to say, hey, you know, I've come to serve if you look at those great passages, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Their main emphasis is there in Mark. It's also in Mark we hear what we call the messianic secret. Mark makes sure that we know that many times in Jesus' ministry, when he did a great miracle, he said, shh, don't tell anyone. That was just to bless you. So Mark brings out the humility of Jesus, the fact that he's come as a servant to all. And those aspects of his ministry, Mark highlighted. And in the Roman world, that was very important, where everybody was so class conscious of who had power and who was important and what rung on the ladder, social ladder that you were. And so it seems that Mark, choosing not to do a birth narrative or find out more about the birth narrative, was trying to make the point that it's not really the fact that Jesus came from a great lineage of David or any of these things, but the emphasis he wanted to show was Jesus' servanthood, that Jesus had come to serve, that Jesus had, had come to lay his life down, and that was the model, and so Mark didn't include the birth narrative because his focus was on servanthood, not the fact that this was the great king, the son of David, the Messiah, the king of the Jews. Of course, he was all those things, but Mark said, you know, when I look at Jesus' life, what really speaks to me is his lowliness, his humility, his servanthood. You know, others might talk about the great miracles and the crowds, but I also remember when he'd heal people and say, shh, don't tell anyone. And of course, you know, people called him Messiah, they called him the Son of God, they called him the Son of David, but I, 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 but I know that many times when they said, well, who are you? He'd say, I'm, I'm the Son of Man. And of course, the word Son of Man can simply mean a man in those days, a human. But of course, the Son of Man, if you look at, think, Daniel 7, we find that the Son of Man comes in glory as well. So he's using a phrase that was just a servant, just, just saying, hey, I'm just here to serve you, but it also had a very powerful background. So that's Mark out of the way. Then we've got Matthew and Luke, and this is where I want to spend a little bit of time here together. Because Matthew and Luke, um, they, they tell the birth narrative, but they focus sometimes on the same stories, 
but they bring out different elements of those stories, and sometimes they, they record something that the other didn't. Why did they do that? What was going on? What is the Holy Spirit teaching us about that? Now, of course, the biggest birth narrative in, in uh, the New Testament is Luke. Luke starts right at the promise of the birth of John the Baptist. You know, uh, Matthew, he, does, he doesn't really speak about, the, well, he doesn't speak about the birth of John the Baptist. He doesn't speak about the Annunciation. He doesn't speak about Elizabeth. And, and so when you look at Luke, if we just look at that right now, we're going to look at Luke. And he says right at the beginning of chapter 1, I want to give you an accurate account of everything that's taken place. And then in verse 5, he speaks about the days of Herod. And I won't read it all. We don't have time. But I will sort of go, go through the highlights. And straight away, he focuses on Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. How they're walking blamelessly before God, but they had no children. And Elizabeth was barren. And then you get the story of Zechariah in the temple, and he gets a visitation from an angel and a prophecy that they're going to have a son, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he'll go in the spirit of, of Elijah. And Zechariah says, how can this happen, um, you know, being in old age? And the angel Gabriel says, because you don't believe, you're not going to speak until the boy is, is, is born and Elizabeth conceives and, and gives glory to God. And so this, none of this, is in Matthew's account. We wouldn't know about it if we hadn't read Luke. Now, one of the things we'll see about Luke is that he has a special emphasis. As I said, when the gospel writers look at Jesus' life, there's certain things that stand out to them that the Holy Spirit highlighted to them, and that's why they wrote their book. Now, so the, Luke, Luke was very interested in his gospel in such things as women. Now, at those, at those days, women were very marginalized. You might say, well, they still are today. Well, they were especially so in the New Testament times. And one of the great themes of Luke's gospel is he says, do you know what stands out to me from Jesus' ministry? It's the amount of emphasis that Jesus had on women and how much women, you know, you, you hear about, the, it's only Luke that speaks about the women, the rich women that looked after Jesus and, and funded his life. And so throughout the theme of Luke, you'll see an emphasis on the dignity of women and how God uses women. And this is why we've got the picture of Elizabeth. It's not just Zechariah, but Elizabeth is very important. She's the cousin of, of Mary. And, and after Elizabeth conceives, then, then, then the next thing that we get is that we have the angel. And the angel appears to Mary at what we call the Annunciation. Now, this Annunciation where the angel appears to Mary is not in Matthew. In fact, Luke's story is more about Mary in the birth narrative, and Matthew's story is more about um, Joseph. 
And so the theme as you read Luke is Mary. Here's the angel visiting Mary, but the angel doesn't visit visit Mary in Matthew. He doesn't even record that. It happened, but he didn't record it. Why? Because Matthew was more interested in Luke's side of the story. So isn't that amazing? You read Matthew, sorry, not Luke, um, Joseph's side of the story. So you read Matthew, you're going to get the focus on Joseph. You read Luke, you're going to get the focus on the women, Elizabeth and uh, Mary. And so here's Mary receiving the word. And Mary um, says, let it be according to your, your word. And we got the Holy Spirit is very powerful in Luke. Luke has an emphasis on the power of the Holy Spirit. After all, Luke didn't only write his gospel, did he? He wrote the book of Acts. And Acts is just, you could call Acts of the apostles or Acts of the Holy Spirit, couldn't you? And so you'll find again and again in Luke an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. We've already had the fact that John was filled with the Holy Spirit in his his mother's womb. The prophecy that the Holy Spirit would be upon him. And here, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you, Mary, and you're going to have a miracle child. And then straight after that, Mary then visits Elizabeth. You see, the whole story is focused. I mean, Zechariah's there, but he doesn't come out that brilliant, does he? He's the one that didn't believe. He's the one that the angel said, hey, Gabriel said, hey, you should have believed me. Right, you're not going to speak until the baby's born. But what does Mary do? Believes him immediately. And uh, then she goes to visit Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, uh, when, when she meets Mary, it's almost like uh, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit um, and uh, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of, of your womb, and praise and glory, and, the, and John the Baptist in the womb is leaping for joy and filled with the Holy Spirit again in verse 41, and then 46, you've got the Magnificat. You've got Mary saying, my soul magnifies the Lord and rejoices in God my Savior. And then there's another theme that we'll find in Luke's Gospel as well as the theme of women, as well as the theme of the Holy Spirit, we also get the theme of the poor, the marginalized. And so even in in her praise, she says, he's looked at my humble estate of his servant. Um, He has done mighty things for me. And then then, uh, from generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought the mighty down from their thrones and exalted those of the humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. The rich he's sent away. He's helped his servant Israel. So that's the Magnificat. That is Mary prophesying and praising by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that praise, there's a lot about the poor, a lot about the humble, And a lot about God bringing down the rich. Well, that song, these stories about... None of this is in Matthew. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was using Luke to emphasize these aspects of the gospel, of Jesus' story. And um, then also, let's let's stay with, 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 with with this theme a little bit. We have... We move on and we have Zechariah prophesying. And then then in chapter 2, we have the birth of Christ, Luke chapter 2. And again, it's interesting because Luke only 
speaks about the fact that they were that she was that Jesus was born in a manger in swaddling clothes laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in an, in an inn and that's not there in Matthew we'll come to Matthew in a minute but that's not there in Matthew why because this was important to Luke it was important for him to say you you got to know that the king of king of glory the savior of the world there was an emphasis and favor upon women. It was the women that have been outstanding in the story so far. Zechariah is there, John the Baptist there, but it's the women that are at the front of the gospel, right there at the beginning of Luke. And here, the poor have said they've already praised God and thanked him for his, his gracious concern on the poor. And here he is, Jesus himself, poor in a stable. And then from the stable, it moves to the poorest class, or one of the poorest class in Israel of that day, shepherds. Again, the shepherds aren't mentioned in Matthew, but they're mentioned in Luke. Why? Again, because this to Luke, it's important we realize how the poor are emphasized. Later on in Luke chapter 4, we'll see Jesus give his manifesto, which is only in Luke as well, where he'll say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, the oppressed, all those that are in difficulty. This is a theme running through Luke that he's picked up from, from the Gospels. And so we have the shepherds. The shepherds were the poorest of the poor. I mean, I mean they, 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 they were the lowest of the lows. They really were. We get this lovely sort of picture of shepherds, don't we, when you sort of see little children with tea towels round their heads, you know, and they're like... They are shepherds. I was a shepherd when I was a boy in the nativity. There in that little school in Yorkshire. And I remember the lines. I would come forward. I was a shepherd. I had my mum's best tea towel on my head. And it was, I am a shepherd. My name is Ben. I've been shepherding sheep three score years and ten. Summer, winter, autumn too. Can't remember the rest. That's not bad, is it? I uh, didn't know what four score years were, but... I was a shepherd. I was a lovely, cute little shepherd. These weren't lovely, cute little shepherds. These were the poorest of the poor. They couldn't get any other job, so they were sent to look after sheep. You know, you don't need a degree in, uh, in biology to look after sheep. What do you do? You just look after them. Do you know what I mean? They're not that, they're not that hard, you know, sheep. Goats, you know, sheep, they don't do much. They don't do much. I think that's why we're called sheep too. Christ, we don't do much, do we? So anyway, so, so and, what, and this is incredible because the angels of glory, you know the story, but the angels of a multitude of heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he is pleased. So right out there, not in the palaces, not, not in the army barracks with the generals, not with the great, not with the high priests, but out there where nobody, nobody of any significance in the world's eyes could see this major manifestation of thousands of angels suddenly appearing out of the invisible world. You know, I've got a friend, and he is a prophet, and he's also a beekeeper. That's what he does. He keeps bees, but he's also a strong prophet. And I remember him telling me how one morning he woke up and his young son with him, he woke up 
And he felt the presence of God, and he looked out of the window, and he saw in the sky angels early in the morning. And they were praising God, and they were spinning, spinning around. And he called his young son to him, and his son could also see it. And they watched there, these angels spinning and dancing and praising God for a period of time. And I thought to myself, well, you know, shouldn't that be done in the Apollo Hammersmith or, or in the O2 Arena? No, it was done just above some beehives. You know what I'm saying? And this tells us so much about God. It's not even just an emphasis that Luke is, is giving. Oh, this was Luke saw the emphasis on the poor. This is a manifestation of who God is. And what, what God is that his son would be born in a stable and that these, these shepherds would be, um, would be looking after. I think I'll stay in Luke a little longer, then we'll go to Matthew. And then we have another thing that's not in Luke, and that is the dedication, the child dedication of Jesus presented at the temple in Luke 2, verse 22. Again, you see great themes. It's interesting that as, as they come to dedicate Jesus at the temple, they bring two young pigeons, uh, a turtle doves. Now, now, the young pigeons of the turtle doves, that was the offering of the poor. If you look back... If you couldn't afford to get something better, to offer a lamb or something, then you would you'd just bring a pair of birds. It was the poor people's way of dedicating their child. Not only that, we see two great prophets. You see, it's the Spirit of God at work again. We've got the prophet Simeon, and guess what? Here comes another woman in ministry. We've got Anna, the prophetess. None of them are in Matthew. Matthew wasn't focusing on that. And then we see that, that he speaks, and this, this Simeon is a righteous man and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It's the Holy Spirit again. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's child. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. So there he is, there's that, there's that Spirit again. And then you've got Anna, and, and Anna again speaking about the redemption of God. And then we return to Nazareth, and then it ends with a story again, which is unique to Luke. And this story is about, well, it's not the, it's not the birth narrative, but it's worth mentioning because it's only in Luke. This is the only picture we get as Jesus as a boy. When he was 12 years old, you know the story? And they go to Jerusalem, Passover, and the parents think that he's in the family group. On the way home, do you know, social services would have taken Jesus away, you know, for this. And, and they thought he was in the family group. They couldn't find him. And they searched for him and they wondered where he was. And he was there discussing the scriptures in the temple. And then it says, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured, there's his mother again, treasured up all these things in his heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So I hope you can see the themes there that are in Luke. Well, let, let's, go, let's go to Matthew and, and see a little bit of his themes. Now, Matthew begins with the genealogy. You know, there are two genealogies about Jesus. Luke also records the genealogy of Jesus. But there's a slight difference between the two genealogies. 
And some people that, that, that want to make mischief say, ah, you see, the Bible's not true. Matthew and Luke, one of them got it wrong when they traced the genealogy of Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, when we go to Matthew, uh, Matthew's genealogy um, begins with Abraham. See, this is one of the major themes of Matthew. Matthew, he's not writing to Romans. He's he's not writing to Gentiles. He's not thinking about Gentiles or Romans. This is why Matthew might be actually the earliest of the Gospels. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. And so that means that if you are writing your Gospel and you're writing to Jewish audience, what do you want to do? You want to show that this Jesus is everything that the Old Testament is pointing to. And so he begins with Abraham, the great father of the Jews, and then we go right through this genealogy, and we go right to the end, and this is where it's interesting, and and it says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Jacob, the father of Joseph. But if we go to Luke, Luke chapter 3, And verse 23. Now, Luke's genealogy goes right back to Adam. Adam. Why? Well, because Luke wants to demonstrate that Jesus is not just the son of Abraham, but he is in the line of Adam. One of the things that Luke emphasizes is this human aspect of Jesus, that in many ways he's one of us. And so he goes all the way back to there. But right at the end, uh, sorry, right at the beginning, it says Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Eli. Well, that's interesting. Matthew said that Joseph was the son of Jacob. But Luke said that he was the son of Eli. What's happening here? Well, I'll just give you the broad terms. It's very simple here. Um, Who is Matthew emphasizing out of Joseph and Mary? Who is Matthew emphasizing? Joseph. We're going to see that in a minute. Matthew is emphasizing Joseph. The dream comes to Joseph. It's Joseph that takes the lead. So Matthew is giving us the genealogy of Joseph. Okay? But who is Luke emphasizing? Mary. And so this is the genealogy of Mary. I mean, Mary and uh, Joseph were um, cousins And so when it says this, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years, being the son, and then what does it say? As was supposed. In other words, Luke is saying, look, he's not the son of Joseph in the sense of being Joseph's natural son because we know he was born of a virgin. So what is this? This son of Heli, what does this mean? Heli was the father of Mary. And Mary had no brothers. And so this is what happens in Jewish life at that time. 
A Jewish father, he has no sons. Not something he would be pleased about because he's got no male heir. Very important. When you look at all the genealogies in the Old Testament, does it go through any of the women? It goes through the men. It might mention a notable woman. So, for example, when it speaks about, there's a genealogy and it speaks about Salmon. Salmon, and it says, who actually married Rahab, the prostitute. But it doesn't go through Rahab. It goes through Salmon. In fact, it's either Matthew or Luke that mentions that. So what would happen is this, is that a a woman couldn't inherit. And so what would happen is, is that if you just had daughters or daughter, when she married, that man was not just your son-in-law, he also became your son in inheritance. So Mary could not inherit from Eli, and Mary had no brothers, so when Joseph married Mary, he also became the son of Eli. Do you hear that? And that, that's, that's very important. So Joseph was the physical son of Jacob, but he was also, by marriage to Mary, the heir and son of Eli. That's why the emphasis is on the virgin birth here. That's why the emphasis even here is like he's being the son as it was supposed of. He's saying, hey, wait a second. um, Jesus was the son of Joseph, but actually we're not talking about Joseph right now. He was supposed the son of Joseph, but we know that he was a virgin. Actually, he's the son of Mary and uh, Mary, and this is Eli. So so that, that's, that's interesting. We have the emphases um, even there. But, but back, to, back to Matthew. So Matthew is wanting to demonstrate that Jesus is the son of David. One of the key themes of Matthew is Jesus the king. A very key um, part of that. And um, in verse 19 of chapter 1, this is where we, we get the focus on Joseph. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, they came together. She was, she, sorry, they, they came to, before they came together, she was found to be with the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph. It's going to be an emphasis on Joseph, an emphasis on the kingly line, you see. An emphasis on Joseph's righteousness. And so Joseph, he's a just man. And he's going to divorce her. It's Joseph's story. An angel comes and says, don't do it. And uh, this is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and Joseph wakes from the sleep and he's obedient to his father. And, um, and the whole story is sort of like a theme. We find later that when they go to Egypt, it's the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and warns him in a dream and says, rise, Take your child to Egypt. And so the emphasis on Matthew is Joseph rather than Mary. Also, one of the important things that Matthew wants to to demonstrate is that Jesus really is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. That's important if you're writing to Jews, that the whole of the Old Testament was preparing and announcing and prophesying the coming of the Messiah. And so that's why in the Matthew narrative of the birth, you have a number of prophecies. Um, Behold, the virgin shall conceive, and, and, and it's fulfilled. So 
all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a child, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And they then later on, with the visit of the wise men, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Written by the prophet. And then a voice in Rama, weeping uh, and loud lament to, to, again. So Matthew has a number of prophecies. And what I did last Christmas is that the, the messages that I did last Christmas through the Christmas period, I took each of these prophecies that Matthew spoke about, and I took them back in their original context, explained the story around their original context, because in understanding their original context, original prophecies, it brings a whole new light on the New Testament. It's almost like Matthew is saying, hey... This is what's happened to Jesus. Oh, by the way, if you want to know how significant it is, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Go back, read the story, find out the fact that what happened at that time was the Israelite king had a choice. He could trust God. God said, trust me, I'll deliver you from the Assyrians. But he thought to himself, oh, what do I do? I either submit to the Assyrians or I make an allegiance with Egypt and fight the Assyrians or I trust God. And the prophecy was that God would come through for him by the time, within nine months, by the time a virgin would have conceived and given birth. You'll find in a couple of chapters later that that very king married at that time a prophetess that was a virgin and then she gave birth nine months later. And so it's all about trusting God to deliver his people. It gives you a whole new feel about what Matthew is talking about. We, of course, have in Matthew no shepherds, but instead of the shepherds, what do we have? The wise men, the magi, really. And so here we get these great kingly authorities from the distance that are coming and seeing his star. We have this focus on Herod, the illegitimate king, and, and, and the prophecy, um, you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. There's the picture. This is a king. There's no mention of him being born in the manger. No, these kingly ambassadors have seen his star and they've come to the fake king, Herod, to say, where's your boy? You've obviously got a, a, a child. And Herod's going, no, I haven't. And, and all of this is speaking about the kingly emphasis. We also see a picture of Egypt, Egypt is not mentioned in the story in Luke, but it is in Matthew. They depart, an angel says, take the child and to Joseph and go into Egypt. And he grows and takes the child and remains there. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Very powerful. The Messiah has experienced what the Exodus people experience the Moses generation. Jesus himself went and spent time in Egypt. He was exiled in Egypt, just like the Moses generation. He experienced that time in Egypt, like the people before him. And then God called him back. So these are just a few of the different themes that you can see so that when you're studying Matthew's account and Luke's account, you can see these great themes. And we men I mentioned these themes in the narratives, the birth narratives, but these themes are carried on right through the Gospels. That's one of the beautiful things about studying the Gospels and comparing the Gospels. 
Um, I have a synopsis of the gospel. One of the, when, when I did my theology degree, one of the, those exciting things was that we were given a synopsis of the gospels. What does that mean? It means that they were put parallel together. You can get them in English as well, but these are in the original Greek. So you can read the different um, accounts and the things that they include together, the stories they include together, the stories that are only in Mark that aren't in Matthew and Luke, and the stories that are in Luke that aren't in Matthew, and, and all the you can compare them, and you can see the accounts, how similar they are, but also that, that sometimes they, they, they bring a different emphasis. Somebody leaves something out, or somebody says something and mentions something, and it's just so rich to see these di- this four-dimensional, if you include John, four-dimensional look at Jesus. I'm so grateful that we've got four Gospels. It's so exciting. And, um, uh, and, and unfortunately, many people don't even think about it. Even Christians, they read their Bibles, but they've never sat back and thought, well, wait a second, God gave us four, four Gospels for a purpose. And when you think about what were the four Gospels given for and why, why is Matthew, Matthew, and Luke, Luke? What's the difference? And when you look at the differences, you learn a lot because the Holy Spirit intended each one of the authors of the Gospel to have special emphases. They don't disagree with one another at all. But the things that they choose to include and don't choose to include and the, the way that they view a story... One sees, sees something and says, hey, that's important. Somebody else says, no, this bit's important for the way that I'm emphasizing it. It's wonderful. And then finally, last couple of minutes, we come to John's gospel. And John's gospel carries the birth narrative right back. He carries it right back to the beginning of time. He is writing to Greek thinkers, Greek Jews and Greek Gentiles, and he wants them to understand in, in the Greek understanding of things. He's thinking, you're Greek, you're Greek thinkers, you're Greek philosophers. Well, do you know what? I can put these things in your philosophy, your philosophy, your technical language. I can speak like a philosopher and put it in your technical language. And so in the beginning was the logos, or the word. And the word was, was with God. The word was God. Now, that phrase, the word was with God, it doesn't actually say with. It's far more powerful than that. The Greek word is prosupon, and it says this. In the beginning, the word was, the, in the beginning was the word, and the word was face to face with God. The word was God, and the word was face to face with God. Straight away, we're saying, hey, hey, this wasn't just some child that was born. And, of course, many of the Greek philosophers <laughs> worshipped the concept of logos or wisdom as a concept. And so John is saying, hey, you know you worship wisdom? Do you worship logos? Well, let me tell you something. Jesus is logos. And then you get this wonderful, the word became flesh. Now, to many Greeks, that just turned their heads upside down. Because in Greek philosophy, the people, uh, Greek philosophers didn't think much of the human flesh. There's usually two views. They usually hated the human flesh and said the, the flesh was trapping your spirit. The flesh is evil and you need to treat it badly. Don't feed it and become ascetic. That was one side. Or the other side of the Greek thinking was the flesh is evil. Don't even bother about it. Do whatever you want with it because it won't affect you because you're spirit. And so whatever you do with your body doesn't matter because you're spirit and spirit and flesh don't mix. 
Well, John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We see this Jesus from eternity coming and shining. We've still got John. John is very important to this. He's not so thinking he's speaking to Greek people that he forgets John. No. Verse 8, there is a man sent from God whose name was John. He was a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And so just in this brief session today, I just hope that I've opened some of your eyes a little bit wider to not only the significance of the Christmas story that we're going to hear a lot more about in the next few weeks, but also that you can see that the usual story that we know and recite is made up from different Gospels. Maybe helped you understand a little bit about why Mark doesn't put a birth narrative in. But also that you can understand where Luke is coming from, where Matthew is coming from, and where John is coming from. Because when you look at the life of Jesus through the eyes of the Gospels, Matthew, one camera angle. Luke, another camera angle. And John, the camera angle from above. It'll give you a richer understanding of the true significance of Christmas. Amen.